Hi there, welcome back. And uh, we are listening to the latest Midas Touch live chat. Well, we're going to talk now. about how Alvin Bragg not only figured out how to split the atom, but also how to conduct cold fusion. I'll explain later. <laughs> We've got a judge in Delaware who's completely stripped Demi uh, uh, Fox His and Fox Corporation, Fox right News, now. basically all of their defenses, Indictment and have only left uh, basically two issues left for a More jury to uh -huh. all against Fox. We'll talk about that in the second segment. Excited to break that down, but first let's talk about what happened in Manhattan this week. Karen Friedman Agnifilo, uh, you worked at that Manhattan District Attorney's Office for basically 30 years. You rose to the position of basically the number two at the entire office there, and uh, there were many times where you actually served as the acting Manhattan District Attorney. So it'd be fair to say that you know that office better than essentially anybody on this planet. So I want to get your take. First, can you break down what happened this week? What does it mean and what happens next? Sure. So just to be accurate, because, you know, accuracy matters, uh, I did leave in the, in the middle of my time there for three years to work for the mayor of New York City, Mike Bloomberg. So it wasn't exactly 30 years. I just wanted to um, just to clear that up. So, uh, but what what happened was um, was the Manhattan DA's office. Uh, we are told, and we saw an order now indicted Donald Trump for his first election interference case, the Stormy Daniels hush money payment case. And the reason we know about it is because he applied to uh, Judge Juan Mershon, who's the judge in this case, for a limited, Alvin Bragg applied for a limited unsealing order, because normally an, uh, an indictment in a case like this, because it is uh, it is an indictment that's happened before an arrest, that indictment is sealed. And so because it is sealed, normally we wouldn't know about it. But sometimes in a case that has extreme amount of uh, press interest and public interest and one where we know the defendant already knows about it, as Donald Trump does, because we would have to tell him to surrender, sometimes the DA's office would apply for what's called a, a limited unsealing order just to be able to say that uh, there has been an indictment. And that's exactly what they did here. Um, the case... We don't know a lot about it yet. We don't know what the charges are exactly. We don't know what the evidence and the proof is exactly. And that's because the grand jury process is a secret proceeding by law. And so, but we can uh, glean a few things and get a few things based on, on what we believe is going on. And so what we think is, and what we've heard has been reported, is that there's 34 counts in the indictment. Again, we don't know. But uh, I, I expect that you will see several charges related to each payment that was made from Donald Trump to Michael Cohen to reimburse him for the hush money payment as well as pay him for his services. So what, what the facts of the case are, just very briefly, right before the election, uh, Stormy Daniels came forward and wanted to sell her story that she had a very brief 90-second <laughs> relationship with Donald Trump. 
and he was becoming president, or I should say, running for, pres for president. And uh, and he and Donald Trump was in a conspiracy with David Pecker, who was the owner of or the yeah the owner of the National Enquirer. And they conspired together to catch and kill stories so that they wouldn't come out and influence the election. And he used his fixer at the time, Michael Cohen, to do this. So they did it with two different people, Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels, around the time of the election. And so what we would explain, and the way it was done was, was uh, didn't want to actually pay the money. I think he realized that it would be illegal. And so he said to Michael Cohen, you do it, and you arrange it. And Michael Cohen had to take out a home equity loan and, and paid the $130,000 to Stormy Daniels. And Donald Trump then had to pay him back. And the way he did it was he structured the payments over time. I think it was 11 different payments. And, and he paid him back plus a fee for uh, his for, for helping him commit a crime, and and each one of those payments would have uh, a check that was written, an invoice that was sent by Michael Cohen, a fake invoice saying that it was for legal services when it wasn't, and uh, a business record entry where it was written that it was for a legal retainer in the Trump Organization records. And so I think it's possible, although I don't know because I haven't seen it, it's possible you could see a different charge, a different falsifying a business record charge, Penal Law 175.10, uh, which is a, a felony. You could see a charge for each of those three things related to each payment. That would get you to 33. And then what's the other charge? I think it's possible there will be a conspiracy charge. And the reason I think it's possible there will be a conspiracy charge is otherwise, there was no conspiracy charge and there was just falsifying business record charge. All you would see on the indictment is on or about X date, the defendant in the county and state of New York um, committed falsifying business record in the first degree by writing check number one, two, three, four, five. I mean, that's literally what an indictment says. and. Um, and maybe has one other, you know, set, by writing check one, two, three, four, five, and indicating that it was for a legal payment when it was not or something. It's like very brief uh, what an indictment language is. Unless you charge a conspiracy, and if you charge conspiracy, it's all about the agreement between, the criminal agreement between two or more people. It talks about what the purpose of the agreement was, what they wanted to um accomplish and then you have to prove overt acts in the conspiracy and the overt acts are actions that you take in order to complete the conspiracy so for example if um, Popak and I said we were going to rob a bank together and we were talking about it and we both agreed okay we're going to rob a bank together but we don't do anything about it then it's not a crime. It's not a conspiracy. No, no don't reveal our So, but it's it's literally it's not a crime because all we did was to talk about it and agree. Unless we commit some overt act to do it, then it doesn't count yet. So you have to do something. Like we say, Ben, Ben, can we borrow your car and? You know, will you be the getaway driver for us when we when we rob that bank? 
and if Ben says yes and drives the car over, that's an overt act. That's something that was done. Even if you don't ever go and rob the bank, it doesn't matter. We conspired to go do it, and we took a step forward doing it. So you have to have an overt act. And what I bet they will do if they do charge conspiracy is they will have many overt acts. And it'll include all of the various discussions that were had between people about catching and killing stories, about influencing the election, about, for example, an overt act could be the tape that um, Michael Cohen had uh, with Donald Trump regarding the term of Google payment, which was a different hush money payment about a 10-month affair that they had before he even met Melania. And so if I were them, I would want that evidence in the uh, in in my case. I apologize for the noise, but my dog had surgery, and he has to be uh, with a cone around his neck and on a leash, and so he's not happy about it. Um, he is moving around. There he is. You all know Boogie. He has been on this podcast before. So he is not happy. So that's what that noise is, and I apologize. Um, anyway, so so the... Um, so, so if I were the prosecutor in this case, I would want the evidence of uh, Karen McDougal in this particular case because the defense saying, oh, this was just about, I, I didn't want to embarrass Melania, this had nothing to do with the election. The reason that has a little bit of legs, it's not going to prevail, but the reason why it's going to um, have some legs and be a little bit of a defense is because she was having... She was cheating on Melania. She'd just given birth to their son, Darren, I think a couple of months earlier. And he's out cheating on her with a porn star. And so he can make an argument that, see, this is just about saving Melania, although I'm not really sure Melania would check out the books and records of the Trump Organization, but that's his defense. Karen McDougal, you can't really make that same argument. That was an affair that happened in, I think, 2006, before he even was married to Melania, so he wasn't cheating on her. So why was he paying her off, right? It wasn't to save Melania. It's because he wanted to throw the election. And so I would want that evidence in there. I think it's important. And that comes in in a conspiracy, but it might not come in otherwise because it's an, it could be an uncharged act unless it's charged unless the, the, for all we know in this indictment they also charge those crimes as well we just don't know but this is this is what we expect to see no and uh of course this week led off with that testimony of david pucker right the former ceo of the national Enquirer. and when you think about that payment made by the national Enquirer to Karen McDougal, this other individual Donald Trump had a sexual encounter uh, with, leading up to the 2016 election, a payment of $150,000 made, right? That's not disclosed as a campaign contribution. Why else were they paying the money to help Donald Trump? Because they thought, if we get this guy elected, that's going to be good for our company. That's a good look for the National Enquirer. That's good for our business. And then, to your point, Karen, at some point, someone probably said to them, you know what? That was problematic. You just likely violated campaign finance laws. And so when they were going to do it again with Stormy Daniels, they just said, uh-uh, we can't do it. Cohen, you got to do it with uh, Trump and figure it out on your own this time. And then they did it with Stormy Daniels again, you know, furthering 
that overall conspiracy. And so, Michael Popak, I want to turn it to you. What was your immediate reaction to this indictment, um, as well as what are we learning? We know about the judge that's now been assigned uh, to this case. Um, we know Donald Trump's reaction to that. We've seen the reaction of uh, Trump's followers. Uh, sadly, predictable. Um, what have you made of all of that? Let me start with the comment about why um, this is my um, split the atom and confusion. Let me explain. It looks like Alvin Bragg and his team of prosecutors figured out how to split the atom. And what I mean by that is they figured out if we're right about the 34 counts and we're right that it goes to the broader catch and kill program designed by David Hecker for national fire to benefit Donald Trump, who was in on that conspiracy, which David Pecker met with Michael Cohen, likely Kellyanne Conway, maybe hope him, but definitely Kellyanne Conway, to devise the scheme and then use Susan McDougall, who's calling it the Stormy Daniels investigation shortly. This may be on Tuesday when the indictment is revealed. This may be the catch and kill, which solves a multitude of problems. One, it, it creates that conspiracy that Karen just eloquently outlined, with Donald Trump at the center, with David Pecker and the co-conspirator unindicted, because he was given immunity to testify here and in the federal case. But So an unindicted co-conspirator number one, David Pecker, unindicted co-conspirator number two, Michael Cohen, unindicted co-conspirator number three, Kellyanne Conway and then indicted co-conspirator Donald Trump. The reporting is, and this is from your fellow podcast host, Ben, is that the reason that Michael, that uh, uh, David Pecker paid Susan McDougall directly uh, the $150,000, this is his testimony, and the reason he didn't pay the second time for Stormy Daniels is because, according to Michael Cohen's memoir, um, Donald Trump stiffed David Pecker and didn't nah, pay him. Nah. And therefore, he didn't want to make the second payment. And it went through, I keep, I said Susan McDougall. I'm sorry. Thanks, guys. It's Karen. Every time I said Susan McDougall, just put it Karen. <laughs> but, but, but the reason it was because Donald Trump, this should come as no surprise, stiffed David Pecker. Pecker said, screw you, I'm not making the second payment. You do it, and that's how Michael Cohen got in. If Michael Cohen's testimony is what, if what he said in his memoir is what he said in the grand jury, that's what he told the grand jury. So you have, that's the rationale. That's the split the atom. That solves the Michael Cohen problem also, because Michael Cohen was not involved with the Karen McDougal payment. That just shows the catch and kill program. He was involved with the second level payment, just the new payment that was made to Stormy Daniels. And for all, all those that said, don't put all your eggs in Michael Cohen's basket because he's got credibility problems, this split the atom because he's he's now making it, Alvin Bragg and his team is making it about the broader catch and kill. As to cold fusion, how did he solve that? We're going to see it when we see the 34 counts. That's a hell of a lot of counts. Even huh. if you take the 11 or so structured payments that we think were made, um, back to Michael Cohen to repay him for going on an equity line and then getting additional bonuses and gross-up payments and didn't have to get hit with income tax um, by having that money come into his law firm. 
having his income. In other words, Trump paid the taxes so that it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt Michael Cohen. That's maybe half of the thirty-four. Other thirty, the other half or so, must be related. I would think is my prediction to Karen McDougal and the conspiracy claims, maybe the civil RICO claims around the co-conspirator, and then the second the second um, crime, which doesn't have to be charged, just to be clear. In New York, you know, we say two wrongs don't make a right. Well, two misdemeanors make a felony. So if you got a misdemeanor books and records fraud, and you combine it with a second thing, even if it's a misdemeanor, even if it's statute of limitations barred, even if they couldn't indict and won't indict on it, if it's in furtherance of another crime, then they've got jackpot. They've got their felony, which we're expecting that most, if not all, of the 34 counts are going to be felony. So we have we have that. Then, moving to Trump world for a moment, um, and this four-day gap between the time that, that the uh, the uh, Manhattan DA wanted. right off the indictment, not Tuesday. That's Donald Trump's Trump playing games and claiming that the Secret Service needed more time to arrange the surrender. That's not true. What he needed was a four-day weekend to regroup and recalibrate with his defense team, most of which, according to reporting, thought that there wasn't going to be an indictment and were off to their spring break. Karen and I talked a lot about 
the break of the action in the grand jury, which Karen accurately predicted was not, didn't mean they weren't going to indict on Thursday. Um, but so they had to regroup and they had to get Joe Tacopina and Joe Tacopina's partner, Chad Siegel and Susan Necklace, who's really the lead trial lawyer, down to Mar-a-Lago to get into a war room. And then, and then next to the war room, Necklace. of course, is the grifting room where Donald Trump devises with people like Miller, you know, Stephen Miller, how to raise four, five, eight million dollars a day. So the reason Donald Trump didn't want to go in on Friday is that it was, you know, 30 or 40 million dollars too soon because he, he wanted to continue to raise money on the backs of his indictment. You'll see the mugshot that will be taken. It'll probably be released by Donald Trump in terms of, uh, you know, to, in order to raise uh, more money. As to the, um, I want to I want to turn it to Karen in a minute after I talk about uh, Juan Mershon, who's the lawyer, the judge is handling this. This was a sign, and we kind of got speculation because we saw that, that Judge Mershon was heading in to his chambers into court on Thursday as well, and and there was already reporting as early as January that even on Fox, that if there was an indictment, it would be assigned to Juan Bershon. So it wasn't going to be a random assignment. That's the judge that presided in December uh, over the 17-count conviction led by the same Manhattan DA's office against two major Trump organizations and yeah. the tax fraud. That's the Alan Weisselberg issue, um, having the CFO having testified and then been whisked off to Rikers Island for what's coming up on the fifth month. As to, uh, that's Judge Mershon. Now, Trump hates Mershon because he ruled really harshly against uh, Trump uh, lawyers when they were trying to prepare and they wanted to delay, delay, delay. He was having none of it. He pushed um, Weisselberg very hard. He even made comments when the sentence was only five months. He felt his hands were a little bit tied by the prosecutor. He thought this guy deserved more and said it aloud. So this is not a friendly Trump guy. And Trump's already started to attack him. That's that's actually an old picture of Judge Mershon. Mershon is now almost completely gray. Uh, I'm getting there at the rate Donald Trump is getting indicted. So now that we've kind of given an overview of where we are with what we expect the indictment to look like, let's take advantage of having Karen on the show with us today. And Karen, why don't we move forward and talk about what happens next? You know, now that we know what's happened, we as we said on Wednesday's show, you know what happened. What happens next? I can't think of anybody better to do that than you. And before doing that, let's just take a quick break, then back to Karen Freeman Agnifilo on what happens next. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially um, not leaking out. And can you imagine what Donald Trump would do with that photograph? Uh, he'd probably, as, as Alan Dershowitz said, use it as a campaign slogan. So I wonder whether law enforcement will actually will actually do it. But try. who knows? Let's see. So he could also be handcuffed. Again, I that's what normally happens. But I doubt that will happen here because he's under guard with the Secret Service anyway. So I don't know if all the normal things that normally happen will happen. The, the one thing I can guarantee they will do is fingerprint him. 
And those fingerprints will be then uploaded into a database that then generates a rap sheet and a New York State ID number or a NYSA nah. number. Just like every person who's sitting in Rikers Island, including Alan Weisselberg, has. Anybody who's ever been arrested has a NYSA number and a rap sheet. And Donald Trump will nice. have one of those. Nice. Then he will be brought to court where he will be, where we will, that morning, the DA's office will go and ask for an unsealing order to unseal the entire indictment. And we will see the charges, I anticipate, before the arraignment on Tuesday. Then he will be brought into court in Judge Marchand's courtroom uh, where he will, they will figure out a way to get him there where it's not necessarily through the hall, with the regular hallways. I am told that the other court matters that are going on, all the other trials, et cetera, are all stopping at lunch. And so at 2.15, there will really be nobody up there except, um, except the necessary people and then some press who will be outside the courtroom and will capture him going in. It will be, it's discretionary whether uh, a judge can allow cameras in the courtroom. Um, we'll see what Judge Mershon allows. That's a sketch right there of a, a sketch artist will definitely be allowed in. Yeah. So we will see sketches of the proceeding for right. sure, whether mm-hmm. or not we see photographs or um, or whether we see a, one video feed will be up to the discretion of the court. So I don't know what the answer will be. I'm trying to get a seat in the courtroom. Uh-huh. Uh, I've, I usually would have no problem getting in. Get and let's see, see if I can, because a Secret Service, it is kind of an issue. But I, I have all the feelers out. I've asked all the right people. And so hopefully uh-huh. I, can, I can get in there. But so the next thing that happens is he will be arraigned. He'll be told what the charges are. And then he will probably plead not guilty. Um, I'm sure he will plead not guilty. And then the case will be adjourned um, for a promotion practice. And, and it'll proceed like every other case. And that's it. He will not be, bail will not be set because this is not a bail eligible crime. If he continues to um, attack the judge, as he's been doing, um, the judge could impose other sanctions on him, like gag order, talking about this case, I could, and, and we'll see about that. So this is a judge. Judge Marchand is, is, a, is a judge's judge. He's, he's very no-nonsense, and he calls balls and strikes. He's not a pro-prosecutor or pro-defense judge. He's not one that speaks more than necessary he's he he um he's just a great judge and he can control his courtroom so we'll see what he does to to donald trump that'll be interesting to watch so karen the process that's going to take place is called an arraignment you said then he's going to get arraigned can you just paint that picture and i'm not going to ask you to actually paint the actual court sketch but can you paint the picture for our audience just of what that actually means. Does the judge read the charges? Can the person waive a reading of charges like that happens in California? Um, Does the judge have to go through each and every charge? And does Trump have to say guilty or not guilty to each and every charge? And then after that takes place in the courtroom, then what happens? Does Does it then just go through the normal procedure? Is there a right to a speedy trial? Can you waive that right? What's the time frame that we look for after this arraignment? But let's first start with what's the arraignment? So the arraignment is the process by which you inform someone of the charges. And this is called the Supreme Court arraignment because 
the trial court in New York is called the Supreme Court, believe it or not. And so this is his Supreme Court arraignment where he will be informed of the charges in the indictment. So you'll have a judge, a court reporter, you'll have two tables, one with a bunch of prosecutors, one with the defendant, who is Donald Trump. He will now be called the defendant. And he will be at the table with his lawyers. And the judge will basically say to him, Mr. Trump, you have been charged under indictment number 12345 with 34 counts of X, Y, and Z. Do you waive? And then the defense attorney usually waives the reading of the charges, but not the rights there under is what they normally say. He might not waive it. He might insist on the judge doing it the way, you know, where you have to read all the charges, but typically they waive it like they do in California. And then they officially ask him, how do you plead? Please enter a plea. Do you plead guilty or not guilty? And usually they plead not guilty. And normally he would not say another word, right? Because you've got a court reporter taking it all down. Normally the lawyer speaks and you never hear his voice other than his plea. We'll see because it's Donald Trump what he may or may not say. But really the arraignment is an opportunity to do a couple of things. Number one, you inform him of the charges that he's being charged with. Number two, it's where bail conditions are set if there would be any bail. But here because it's not a bail eligible offense, there will not be any conditions. Is any notices that the prosecutor wants to or needs to file on a case? So there are certain legal notices that you have to file. Like are there any statements that you intend to use against the defendant at trial? If that's the case, if there are any statements that you have made, the prosecutor has to serve notice of those statements within 15 days of the arraignment. Normally they just serve them at arraignment. So we will know are there any statements that he has made, whether it was in the course of the, they're really statements, they're statements that are made during, if you are in custody is those statements. So you have to be, it's custodial interrogation. Those are the types of statements that you have to serve notice of because those are the ones that are required under this notice. However, there might be other statements that they might serve notice of where he wasn't in custody that they want to use. Like statements that he made about the case previously. So we might hear of any of those statements that they want to use. The other types of notices probably don't, definitely don't apply here. So I'm not sure you'll hear of any other notices. And the prosecutor also will likely serve a statement of facts. I think in this case they will do that so that they're, because the prosecutor is bound by ethical rules not to talk about a case outside of what's said in court. And so if there are facts that you say in court, then those facts can be in the public realm and talked about by the prosecutor. 
since here um, that may or may not be done, they probably will file a statement of facts, or unless it's all in the conspiracy. So I think you'll see that. And then it'll get adjourned for motion practice. Now, uh, there is a speedy trial in New York, um, like everywhere else, where you have to go to trial within six months of, um, you have six months of chargeable time that you have to go to trial, but the, the clock stops and pauses at various times. Uh, if the defendant wants it to. If the defendant doesn't want it to, if they just want to go forward, then this would go to trial in six months. But we anticipate that he will make motions and legal arguments and motions. If he wants to make motions, to delay. Like, like statute of limitations has already run, could be one motion, or I want to suppress certain evidence, could be another motion, or I want a change in venue because um, because I can't get a fair trial in me. Manhattan because people in Manhattan hate me, or I want a new judge because judge you you it's were so vindictive up. towards the Trump <laughs> org. You, know, you already said that uh, you hate me, and I want a new <laughs> judge. Or he's going to make all kinds of motions. Who knows? You know they're they're going to make motions. All of that pauses the time, and um, and none of that's charged to the prosecution. So so. He, though, I think is going to make lots of motions because he, his number one legal tactic is delay. Judge Marchand, however, will keep an eye on keeping this case moving. And so I anticipate, although there will be reasonable motion practice allowed, which is usually 45 days um, for the defense to get their motions in, uh, and he will also challenge the sufficiency of the grand jury, by the way. That's something you can do in New York that you can't do federally. And I don't know about California, but, but the, you know, federally, the grand jury is, is very much a closed. Um, you don't really get to see what happens there. In the state, a defendant can challenge uh, the sufficiency of the grand jury evidence. So he'll also so he'll probably make motions about uh, about whether or not the whether or not um, the bump up, so the falsifying of business records, the way Popoff was saying, you have to have committed another crime to make it a felony. Um, he's going to challenge whether the crimes that were presented to the grand jury are ones that can be relied upon, like a federal election charge. Um, so he'll make all kinds of challenges like that, and that'll all happen during a reasonable motion draft period. And then the prosecutor will respond to the motion, and then the judge will decide. So, so that was what will happen next. Ah. I want to give you the final word on this uh, historic week when we're talking about uh, this criminal indictment, Popak. I've seen all of the social commentary, Bailey, by the right-wing MAGA about what a sad day it is in criminal justice and the history of criminal justice. I think Chris Keist put it for this to happen. There's one person that is to blame for this in a series of what we expect to be indictments over the next several months, and that is Donald Trump. Donald Trump was a grifter and a fraudster and a scam artist dating back to his time working next to his father, Fred Trump, all the way through his running of casinos, running them into the ground in Atlantic City, and grifting all along the way, to the celebrity apprentice, to the, um, the grifting and the fundraising that he did around that, even before he decided to enter office, he was not qualified to be the President of the United States. But he, you know, he was on a he was on a stage with 16 other people that weren't that nobody knew, and so he ended up becoming the president of the United States. And then he established the same kleptocracy in the Oval Office in the in the West Wing 
as he had in business his entire life. And now all of these things, they are, they are his fault. Okay, so the MAGA Republicans who are like, oh my God, up in arms, he's being indicted for something that happened in 2006, and it's, it's a porn star, and it's a this or that. It is Donald Trump's conduct and behavior that a grand jury, independent grand jury of 23 people in New York, have decided is a crime. That it's not in the right order that we, don't, that we would all like. You know, we'd like Jack Smith's to go first with the inter interference of the election and, and, and Jan 6th and, and the Mar-a-Lago maybe, maybe Fawny Willis for the Georgia election and the, and the quote-unquote perfect phone call. But justice comes as justice comes and we can't order it and we can't sequence it. But it doesn't mean he should be let off the hook because the smaller of the three crimes, if we're ranking them, is the one that got out of the chute first. He's going to be held accountable. If we've learned anything from Thursday, and the way Alvin Bragg, much maligned, now will be a historic hero for doing this, for coming out of the box, for getting right on the facts and bringing this case, because the box stops that it, it, it is the case that was ready now. The other cases will be ready in their own time. At the end, when we look back, when history looks back at this chapter in a book, maybe not in a Florida textbook, but it describes the history of America, they will say that at the end of 2023 and 2024, Donald Trump was indicted several times days and outside the office before he got in, the delay being he was in office that he was brought to justice. That's what I believe the chapters in the, the pages and the chapters of those books are going to read, notwithstanding all of the social media backbiting and hammering that's going on now, mainly by, by the Republicans in MAGA. And that's a great point, because the only people who are politicizing this are the MAGA Republicans, are Donald Trump's followers, who are saying that because of Donald Trump's you know, leadership of this new MAGA Republican Party, that he's above the law. Notice, none of them are saying he's innocent, right? There's, I haven't seen the argument, he didn't pay hush money payments, and he didn't falsify business records. Their <laughs> argument is always, New York has a lot of crime, and they lie about the crime <laughs> down in New York. But, but that's the argument that they pursue. They're the ones who are politicizing something, um, and they are the ones who are not focused on the rule of law. And you make a great point there, Popak, as well, because while this is a Class E felony, this current case, where uh, Donald Trump has been criminally indicted, so the jail time, I think, at most would be about four years, uh, and it potentially, you know, when you're, when you're at sentencing, you know, likely would be less, but it is something that he can serve, you know, jail time for. This doesn't mean that Alvin Bragg has given up the case where he's uh, still investigating, and he said it. He's still investigating the financial fraud and the Trump tax evasion and the bigger case. He's just taken a step-by-step -step approach. Step one, Trump organization. Step two, falsifying business records. And he's still investigating the other crimes. And of course, we have special counsel Jack Smith investigating uh, with two grand juries in federal court in Washington, D.C. Trump's election interference, Trump's obstruction of justice and theft of government records. Of course, we have Fawny Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, 
who will be presenting before a grand jury there. You've got the E. Jean Carroll uh, civil rape and defamation trial set to take place on April 25th. You've got the New York Attorney General Letitia James case, uh, the civil fraud case set to go to trial October 2nd of 2023 where the New York Attorney General is seeking at least $250 million in damages and likely in the billions of dollars in damages against Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, and Trump's adult children, and an injunction which would basically stop them from doing business in New York and effectively Forever. end the Trump Organization. Yeah. And so the judge there, Judge Arthur Ngoron, who Trump also attacks the same way he's attacking Judge Juan Mershon, the same way he's attacking... All the judges, but Judge Arthur Ngoron uh, in New York, in the New York Attorney General Letitia James case, said, come hell or high water, it shall be etched in stone. I am not moving the trial date from October 2nd, 2023, despite Trump's attempt to delay, delay, delay. And speaking about billion-dollar cases, Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox is set to go to trial in the next few weeks. And there was a massive ruling uh, that just took place in Delaware Superior Court where this uh, case is before, uh, where the judge made a ruling that spells doom for Fox and was a great ruling for Dominion. But I think more importantly, a great ruling for the truth. We will talk about that right after this quick break. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Lomi. Now, I've never been able to compost before. It was always too complicated, too much work, and frankly, I don't think I even knew exactly if I was doing it right. Then I got a Lomi. Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with just the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps to dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs, and it's really quiet. Thanks to Lomi, I have way less garbage Thanks to blow me. that they were connected to Venezuelan government and Hugo Chavez, that they bribed U.S. election officials to get their equipment in, that their equipment could be easily and was hacked to favor Trump over Biden, and, and all the rest of that that was said on a loop ad nauseum every day, every hour on Fox, whether it was Lou Dobbs or Janine Pirro or Tucker Carlson or Hannity or the rest against this poor company, Dominion, that was founded after 2000 because of the hanging chad problem in Palm Beach County that got Bush elected over Gore. That's the reason they created their safe technology, their new technology. Um, so this is the Fox's own making. Let me back up for a minute. We're in Delaware Superior Court for this case, although New York law is being applied. That's a little court here. The judge sits in Delaware. It's a well-known judge, Eric Davis. I know him reasonably well. We worked at a law firm together. He was a partner at Skadden Arps down in Delaware. Which And there's a number of seats on the Delaware courts that are reserved for certain law firms. I'll leave it at that. He's sitting in the Skadden seat, if you will, at the Superior Court, which handles the, the damages-type cases. The Chancery Court, which you and I, Ben and Karen, talk more about on this show, really deals with um, corporate control issues, and equity issues, a little bit of damage, but it's a slightly different court. This is the wild, wild west as far as Delaware is concerned, although Eric Davis is a very prim and proper judge, 
you can rarely, he's a poker player, you can rarely tell what he's thinking in the courtroom. Um, he's very sober in the courtroom, although in the 100-page opinion that we're going to talk about next, he blasts Fox, strips them really of many of their defenses and privileges in front of the jury, leaving them pretty vulnerable and, and bare to this, this what could be a $1.6 billion or more um, damage claim. What's the issue? The issue is whether by the Fox News on-air personalities constantly putting on Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and all the rest of them attacking mercilessly this poor company called Dominion with lies upon lies upon lies about their product, about their integrity, about their security, about their about their corporate culture of not striving people. Hugo Chavez, dictator Venezuela devised company, all a complete and utter lie. And then we ripped the curtain off in discovery, the process of the exchange of information between parties, which the judge cites over and over again. Ben, on this show, on the Midas Brothers show, on all the hot takes, we gave out as much as we could of the emails and texts that were revealed in discovery that blew the hole in the whole argument that, that uh, the Fox Corporation and Fox News didn't know that these were lies wasn't doing it for profit, wasn't doing it for their ratings, wasn't doing it because they cared more about lining their own pockets with ad dollars than they did about this, this Dominion voting. It was just entertainment for them. It was just entertainment. They didn't care about defamation. Now, in order to, in order for them to prevail at trial, Fox News has a defense. And defense is what we call actual malice. Because if I defame Ben or Karen, if I say something that's, that's, that's demonstrably false against them, and they're not public figures or limited purpose public figures, then me just saying it and publishing it, which means I tell a third person, whether in writing or, or out loud, and they're damaged, or it is presumed that they're damaged by the nature of what I say, they've got a defamation case against me. And I can't use as a defense that I didn't mean it, or I didn't. I, I, I thought it was not true, or not. It is true, or other, or other types of privileges that go along with defamation. I'm dead. But news organizations often try to hide behind and use as privilege the First Amendment, and the First Amendment, as expanded upon in a Supreme Court case from 1964, which we talk about a lot on this show over the course of time, called uh, New York Times versus Sullivan, the Sullivan case. Um, basically says that in order for a news organization or anyone that's a public figure, which in this case Dominion would be arguably a public figure, in order for defamation to be proven against them to award them damages, there's one other element, and that element is actual malice. It's a doctrine that was created by the case. And actual malice means that the person making the false statement also knows or should have known that the statement is false. If I just pass along some gossip, but I don't know it's false, I probably don't satisfy actual malice. So, so Fox News has been trying to hide behind the flag of the First Amendment. First Amendment, we're a news organization. We're just, we're just neutrally reporting things. We're not doing opinion. Uh, you know, this was, wasn't us saying that the uh, Venezuela had infiltrated Dominion, or that the Chinese had, or that they had brought us other people that were on our show. And you can't hold us accountable for that because we're a news organization. And this judge has already had a dress rehearsal for this case because he's also the judge involving 
Smartmatic. And Smartmatic is, a, is another relatively smaller um, election equipment company, software company, that I think has one client, I think it was Los Angeles at the time, who also got maligned at the same time by um, Fox News. And they have a, a parallel case, also in Delaware, also in front of Eric Davis. So if, if um, Fox News wanted to figure out whether they were going to win or lose their motion, all they had to do was go read the Smartmatic opinion by Judge Davis, in which he said there are limits to the First Amendment. You are not allowed to hide behind it, and you're not allowed to say things that are scurrilous and scandalously wrong, even if you know that they are. So I don't want to hear about the First Amendment, and he let the Smartmatic case go forward. Here, Fox decided in its infinite wisdom, let's try to get the judge to rule before trial that we didn't defame um, that the elements of defamation are not met. It wasn't defamatory. In other words, it wasn't false, the statements that we made. It was opinion, that's a privilege. And we didn't do it with actual malice, and they don't have any damage. So, Judge, we win the case. Tell us now. Do it now. Do it before a jury trial. And the judge came back in a hundred-page decision and quoted from text and quoted from emails, including ones that had a lot of bad language in them, but that ended up in Eric Davis's order, and <laughs> said, let's go through the elements, and let's see what I can do on summary judgment for you now. Okay, on the element of false statements, I find as a matter of law, the jury doesn't have to decide this, that everything you said about Dominion was false. So when the jury comes in for the trial, there will be a trial, the jury will be instructed that prior to the jury being impaneled, the judge has already made certain decisions in this case. And let me read you what, you, what they are. The falsity of the statements have already been established for you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. That's not for you to decide. You are to assume that everything that Fox and the Fox people said about Dominion is false. Let's go to the next element on summary judgment. On summary judgment, are you entitled to a privilege because you're just a journalistic entity, a news organization, neutrally reporting the news? And the judge says, you're not, because you went beyond neutrally reporting the news, so you don't get the benefit of that privilege. And one of the privileges you raise isn't even a privilege anymore in New York, the judge said, so we ripped that away from you. Now let's go to publication, the second element of, of defamation. Did you publish it? And did you publish it at Fox News? And did you publish it at Fox Corporation? And did you publish it at Rupert Murdoch and the rest? And on Fox News, he said you published. So the jury's going to be told the second element of defamation is also already decided for you before you got here is publication and there's false statements. As to Fox Corporation and to the others, he's going to let the jury decide based on the evidence whether the close relationship between Fox News and Fox Corporation, and there was plenty of evidence of that, it, it means that they're also responsible for and found vicariously liable for publication. So that'll go to the jury. Is Fox Corp and Murdoch also a publisher of these false statements? And then lastly, the judge says, as to um, damage, I'm letting the jury decide that. So you say it's way under 1.6 billion uh, Fox News. The jury decides that. That's a jury call. We let them pull out their checkbook at the appropriate time. And then the last major issue was, can I decide as a judge now whether actual malice has been proven by Dominion based on all these emails and text messages, like Tucker Carlson saying, will you please fire that reporter for Fox News who says there wasn't any election interference for F's sake, the stock price is going down. 
and all the other internal emails like, what the F, this is, you know, with Giuliani or, or uh, Jen Ellis or, or Powell.
who would disagree with us when they heard these facts, everybody would look at this and said, Fox defamed us. So these dueling summary judgment motions were filed. And ultimately, to your point, the judge said, Fox, you lose everything, basically. Like, your summary judgment is completely defeated. In this case, you're not going to be able to sustain one of the elements you defeat. And so Fox is denying your summary judgment motion in total. However, when it comes to dominion, I am going to grant your summary judgment on that element of falsity. I am going to also say that Fox can't assert their privileges. I'm also going to say, with respect to the news division, that there was a publication. So I'm actually going to say that, and, and no reasonable juror can disagree with me, is what the court's saying. And so the judge is saying exactly what you said when the jury comes in. The judge is going to instruct the jury. I've already made a finding. This court has made a finding that these were false statements with respect to the news division, that it was published, and all you have to decide, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is were these statements published, were these statements published with actual malice? Was it intentional or with a reckless disregard for the truth? And then what Dominion's going to do is show all those text messages and say, look, they knew. Of course it was intentional. They said they intended to do it. It doesn't get more slam dunk than that. Look what Murdoch said. Murdoch said he intended to do it. Look what Hannity said. Look what Tucker said. Look what Laura Ingram said. Look, they fired this person who was actually trying to tell the truth. So I think it's a, it is a big, big, big ruling. Um, and, you know, and, and one other point I'll make and throw it back to you, Popak, just to finish out this topic. And then I want to hear from Karen just about this historic week in general. But I think look, this isn't the only case, defamation case, that, that, that Fox is involved with, right? Smartmatic, another company uh, that Fox spread these conspiracies about, they sued for $2 billion. And trust me, all of the judges are seeing these rulings, right? And I think Smartmatic is also, at least for the ability to say, for its persuasive authority, tell the judge in its cases, and other people who have sued Fox will tell the judges in their cases, take a look at what this finding was. There was a finding that Fox was publishing false information. False information. Popak, finish out this topic. Yeah, I think we've, we've, uh, we've hit it exactly right. And just as a practitioner, like Ben, they had a choice, Fox. When they got faced with the Dominion summary judgment, if you and I combed through methodically to pick out a hundred and hundreds of emails and texts that they included to support in an appendix, a Dominion summary judgment, I thought at the time, all right, well, Fox will, what I would do in this situation, they will try to defeat the summary judgment based on the way you framed it, Ben, by arguing that there are material issues of fact and dispute. So in dispute that only the trier of fact, in this case it's the jury, can resolve it before applying the law. That is the standard for summary judgment. So when I'm facing the summary judgment, I rarely, to be frank, depends on the case, but I rarely bring a cross motion for summary judgment. A, because of the fear of what could happen here. I at least want to get to a trial. I don't want to have a judge rip away 
you know, or find, you know, cherry, cherry, two of the elements of a major step, you know, claim against me before I even, you know, before I even got my uh, shoes tied to go into the courtroom or have my defenses stripped away. So what I would probably do strategically is just throw a lot of competing emails and texts at the judge if there are if there are any and deposition testimony because we know Rupert Murdoch got deposed a couple of times, Lachlan Murdoch and executives that none of us had ever heard of before, but that are key people at Fox News and the Hannity's and Hero adopts of the world. And the judge looked. There are so many issues of material fact and dispute about whether actual malice happened, what we knew, what we didn't know, what was communicated between these various uh, departments at, uh, and divisions at, at, between Fox News and Fox Corp. It's got to go to the jury. Let's go to the jury and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it then. Then you've got an opening, if, if you're able to defeat the summary judgment, if you can, you've got an opening, you're still in it as a defendant to try to negotiate a settlement or find an exit strategy or, you know, take your shot at court to try to convince a jury in Delaware um, better than this one judge who you know from prior rulings in the related Smartmatic case is probably against you on all the First Amendment stuff. 